0: Aggressive Rugby League.
1: Hello, John O'Duncan with you again, talking some words, sentences, and maybe even some paragraphs. I want to take you back in time a little, all the way back to, well, October 2018. It's a humid spring afternoon in Sydney town, and I'm on my way to my first, and at the time of recording, still only movie date with my rugby league partner in crime, Big Al. There's the threat of rain, but I reckon it will hold off, so I put on my walking shoes and start the journey from my workplace in the city to Sydney's inner west, Leichhardt, the site of a classy little tech. I'm feeling pretty good, work's over, I'm catching up with my man, Big Al, and there's a doco that I've been keen to catch on the horizon. Then I feel a sprinkle. And before I can say, well, hopefully that's the worst of it, it turns into a deluge. And of course, I don't have an umbrella. And double of course, I have holes in my shoes after scoffing at repeated suggestions from my girlfriend to stop being a tight ass and buy some new sneakers. I can't be certain due to my waterlogged memory from that day, but I'm pretty sure the rain stops as soon as I get to the cinema. I contemplate skipping out on the date and going home. Two hours squelching in a cinema don't sound like much of a way to spend an evening, not to mention the potential of being the source of a pungent scent, but I decide to stay. Big Al arrives, somehow dry, and bemused at what he sees before him.
0: So, uh, what happened to you?
1: I assume the question's rhetorical. Then the film starts, and quick as a flash, I'm transported away from the discomfort of my soaking toes and into, well, a very different world. Papua New Guinea, the bustling streets of Moresby, the incredible beauty of the Highlands, that pulsing, vibrant society, and a little game called rugby league football. The film, of course, is Power Merry. It's a story of PNG's first national women's rugby league team, the Orchids, as they battle on-field adversaries and off-field prejudice on their way to the 2017 Rugby League World Cup. Look, I'm very glad I stuck around that October night, and I'm even gladder to have the driving force of Power Mary joining us on the show today. Joanna Lester is a journalist, media aficionado and film director. Gee, that must feel good. And it is an absolute pleasure to have her on the line. Joanna Lester, welcome to the Progressive Rugby League podcast, and congratulations on a terrific film.
0: Thank you for having me. I remember meeting you at the screening in LeCard that night, and it's excellent to be talking to you about the film some months later.
1: Yes, yes. Apologies about my appearance. I would have looked like a drowned rat. Now, let's jump straight to it. Take us to PNG, if you could, Joanna. Most listeners, myself included, would not have been to PNG. Most of us know what we know about PNG through Rugby League. But let's separate that out for a moment. I want to know what we're seeing, what we're hearing, and what we're smelling when we first arrive in PNG.
0: a great question because actually I always feel like when I walk off the plane in Port Moresby, which is where you fly into internationally, there is a beautiful tropical urine PNG kind of smell. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's travelled a lot in troubled countries might know their own version of that. But I always just feel when I get off the plane there that, as I say to the Orchids Girls, I'm home. In fact, I said to her on the other day, I need to come home soon because it's getting a bit cold in Sydney now that we're in May. But yes, it kind of just has a special feeling when you get off the plane. And you don't have to go very far out of the airport or possibly sometimes even in the airport to notice that about half the people you see are wearing rugby league jerseys of some description. Mm. So if you weren't sure that you landed in Papua New Guinea before that, when you see that Rugby League attire is the national uniform, you know where you are after that. (laughs) And that was one of the first things I noticed the first time I went there in 2009 was just that Rugby League was absolutely everywhere, which was the start of a beautiful relationship between me and Papua New Guinea.
1: Mm. And I know Papua New Guinea is 85% rural and regional, so hit me with the Moresby experience and how that compares to, say, the Highlands.
0: Yes, so you're right. And one of the sort of slightly sad things about moving around, living, working, volunteering as as an expat in PNG is sometimes you don't get to get off the beaten track that much. I mean, I'm fortunate to have been to a few different places in PNG. Hmm. None of the kind of super remote places like people have probably heard Justin Olam, one of the Cornwall's players, talk about where he grew up and he had to walk three days to get to a proper sized town. And Um. he walked across the mountains to go watch NRL and, of course, now all his fellow village just walk across the mountains to watch him so I've never actually been that remote but places like Goroka in the PNG Highlands which you see in the film where Stanley Gene, known in England as Stanley Jean, is from <laughs> I would really call that rugby league heartland it's just a brilliant place it's where Great Britain played last in I think 96 97 that tour mm-hmm. um, and in fact where England women played the orchids last year mm. um, so it really to me Goroka is rugby league the, the local team, the Garoka Lohanis, everyone there is sort of very passionate about them. And so many of the rugby league players that especially in England have become big names, the PNG players, mm. but uh, also within P&G, they're from that area. So yeah, it's very different to Moresby, It's a much smaller place, but it's all equally rugby league.
1: And of course, there were, I think there was six or 7,000 people at that match that you referenced in Garoka between the Orchids and the English national team late in 2019, which is quite amazing. Now, this may come across as naive and potentially offensive, and I don't mean it as such, but will the average traveller find it easy and safe to get around PNG? And what does that mean for getting a film made in that country?
0: Getting around PNG is certainly not easy, and that is really the barrier to what could be an amazing tourism industry and one that I hope will eventually take off. Even, I mean, rugby league tourism has not reached the potential that I think many of us thought it would when the PNG Hunters joined the Queensland Cup. Mm. So you've got a Queensland team going to PNG every other week Mm. if tourism was a little bit easier in PNG that could create some amazing opportunities for supporters. Mm. Even at the Rugby League World Cup in 2017 I met literally a couple of very hardy English tourists who'd come all the way from England mm. one of whom I knew already and the other one I just met on a plane. <laughs> so it's not an easy place to travel around but it is a brilliant place to go for rugby league tourism yeah. if you've got somebody with a bit of local knowledge to help you organise it and of course the one thing about making a film that is a little bit different to being and is very different to the way that expats or anyone with a piece of expensive equipment normally operates in Port Moresby, which has a lot of street crime, mm. is that you don't normally just stand around. Yeah. You certainly don't stand around with a camera or a phone or anything like that. So that was one thing that we had to do a little bit of making the film that one wouldn't normally do. But in fact, most of the filming time was spent with the team when they were training or with individual players in their homes and that sort of thing. So it wasn't too much of a challenge trying to make another sort of film in PNG where you really were out and about all the time. Mm. Uh, would be quite tricky.
1: Now, Joanna, why did you want to make this film? Take us back to when you started feeling the itch.
0: Mm. I think it's important to point out that I never set out to make a film. Right, I had moved to Papua New Guinea for a year to work on the programme that the NRL runs up there. I don't think it's well known how much incredible work the NRL does around the Pacific, Mm. running programs that use rugby league to have an impact in society, mostly funded um, by the Australian government through its aid program. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of a whole sector of work that sadly you don't hear much about in Australia, but there's some pretty amazing stuff happening out there. And so the NRL started running the program in PNG in 2013, and I moved up there in 2014 to sort of set up their media and communications. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised when I got there to find that most of my colleagues were female because rugby league in my experience at that point had been a very male dominated environment Mm. and they were all players and I'd never actually really had anything to do with women's rugby league in either England or Australia Mm -hmm. I'd had a lot to do with pacific rugby league but just sort of through a male lens so over this sort of year that I was first living there I sort of realized this incredibly important link between all the challenges for women in png the really high rates of domestic violence the lack of opportunity a lot of the female players who i worked with had not been able to stay in school beyond grade eight Mm -hmm. there were no female politicians all these these kind of indicators about the status of women that are so different to australia england or many other places but the fact that women playing rugby league was actually one of the most powerful ways that women were kind of standing up to this. Mm. Were changing perceptions about them, were inspiring other women who quite often basically had no education and no job and and didn't have a lot of inspiration in life you know players from some of the really sort of dangerous settlements that you see in the film Mm. were getting the other girls in their area to come down and start playing rugby league and that was changing their lives so it was obviously having a big impact both on women and on men Mm. and i just thought there was something that we needed to do with that we needed to take that impact beyond the realms of those communities and those individuals and tell it on a wider scale in PNG. And as soon as it became clear that finally a national women's team would be formed, so all the women who'd been playing for their clubs for years would finally get to represent their country, something Mm. they'd been campaigning for for a long time. That was a chance to sort of tell this story with a bit more gravitas, a journey to a World Cup is something that you might be able to get funding to make a film about Mm. and actually market it a bit beyond PNG. And really make something of it. Yeah, so well, that's how it came about.
1: Yeah, well, the film brilliantly captures a, a momentous moment in time, and it's momentous for a few reasons. There's, like you say, the birth of a national women's rugby league team, which is great in itself, a birth only happens once. Then there's the fact that the birth of this national women's rugby league team is happening in the most intense rugby league hotbed on earth. That's amazing. And then there's the fact that the birth of the national women's rugby league team is not only happening in the most intense rugby league hotbed on earth, but it's happening in a country where the prevailing attitudes towards women are quite different to what we might be used to in our comfortable middle-class existences in Australia or the UK or Canada. Did you know how significant this moment could be uh, when you were making the film?
0: Um, well, I think so. I mean, I, I guess the short answer to that is yes, and that's why I made it. <laughs> but the amount that it's resonated beyond PNG, you know, as you say, in other people's lounge rooms, has been a real, really pleasant surprise. Yeah. And I think it's also sort of the experience has made me realise that I, perhaps subconsciously at that point, really saw this story of women's sport. As being sort of a bit of a social movement. Hmm. And of course, a lot of people tend to see women's sport as the equivalent of men's sport Hmm. and not a social movement. And, you know, there are contexts where it, it can have more social impact than others. And this was absolutely one of the biggest opportunities for that. Mm. Some of the players saw it that way too. In fact, a couple who've ended up being the key characters in the film and and are the ones who really sort of drive its outreach now, Mm. they sort of thought that too. So it was the coming together of all of our perspectives that this was about more than just rugby league. Mm. And there was a massive opportunity here, them as players and me as the filmmaker documenting it, that it really is why it kind of worked.
1: Now, you mentioned some of the outreach that's been happening. It seems to me that Power Mary has become more than a film. It's now a bit of a movement. Can you take us through some of the outreach work that you've been doing, say, in Vanuatu that you mentioned to me off air?
0: Yes. So, I always really wanted to get this film around the Pacific because even though there's nowhere in the Pacific where rugby league is quite as popular as in PNG, it is very popular in many other places and growing fast um, in some others, Vanuatu being a great example of that. But more than that, the story of the women, um, the cultural context is really quite similar in some other Pacific countries. Mm. So I really wanted to sort of get it out there, not least because so few films are made in or about the Pacific, almost none of them about women. So it was just for people to go to cinema and watch something Pacific rather than Spider-Man yeah. <laughs> was um, really unusual. <laughs> in fact, we had a, sort of a weird issue with our cinema release in PNG. There's one cinema and PNG and the staff were actually having difficulty persuading people to spend their very hard-earned money because the cost of a cinema ticket in PNG was extraordinary compared to somebody's average income. Mm. People were actually not that forthcoming to spend it going to watch Power Mary because they didn't think it would be that good no. they you know they thought their monthly cinema budget should probably be spent on spider-man instead <laughs> so that, that was an interesting experience yeah. uh, but then of course when people realized that it was actually something that was worth seeing in the cinema that it was not just something that somebody filmed on a cam, people got very excited about it but in terms of the outreach in the other Pacific countries it has been a brilliant opportunity not only to share the film and to travel with some of the players to drive that, but also to grow Women's Rugby League. And Vanuatu was, was absolutely the best example of that. In fact, we were there in March, kind of in the last week before the world went totally crazy. Mm. I should point out that Vanuatu is one of a few countries in the world that still has no coronavirus cases. So oh. things are quite different there. Yeah. But we had a brilliant week there with two of the players, two of the Orchids um, players from the film. Gloria Kalper, who you meet in the film, is the youngest member of the team, the one who is still at school mm-hmm. and is now the Orchids vice captain. And Della Odama, the one who lived in the settlement in quite a dodgy area, hmm. who has now been forced to retire from playing because of injury, but is now on the Orchids coaching staff. Okay. So Vanuatu Rugby League has been going from strength to strength in the last few years, and it's now into its third year of Women's Rugby League. And so we sort of combined running screenings with training with the women's teams in Vanuatu, doing some outreach in schools and other communities, and it was incredible because all the rugby league players in Vanuatu, both male and female, absolutely worship Della and Gloria, the two stars from Power Mary wow. and from the Little Kids. And um, we were sort of mainly expecting to be working with the female players, but the male players were all just so excited to be trained by basically rugby league experts from PNG. And didn't really give a thought to the fact that they were women. It was just amazing yeah. because they were completely perceived as leaders in rugby league. Wow. Um, and the relationship between the two Orchids players and all the players that they met that week has really continued via social media. And I'm sure once you know restrictions are lifted in, in PNG and things get back to normal everywhere, some of the inspiration from that week will really start to show.
1: Well, that's a fabulous story. Now, Joanna, you've screened the film in quite a few parts of the world, as you mentioned, Australia, the UK, the Pacific. Do any of those experiences stand out for you, besides that fateful night in Leichhardt, of course?
0: That was, of course, memorable. (laughs) We've had a couple of other great screenings in in Leichhardt, actually. Uh, The mayor of the Inner West, Darcy Byrne, is a huge rugby league fan. Mm. He's a big Tigers fan. He's also... Very interested in PNG right. and its potential rugby league. He's one of those politicians angling for a PNG team in NRL, so he hosted a screening about a year ago actually during the Pacific Test because the Pacific Test was at Leichhardt last yeah, okay. year. So that's yeah. another memorable Leichhardt moment. But beyond <laughs> Leichhardt, even though it is pretty much the centre of the universe, a couple of others really stand out. I mean, beyond the Pacific screenings, which I've talked about a bit, and obviously all the screenings in PNG have been amazing because mm. people relate to it so much but a couple of other sort of really memorable moments actually late last year i was able to go to the us for a couple of weeks um we got into the women's sport film festival in san francisco and primarily the whole project, which is the film and, and some of the outreach, was nominated for an award in New York. Unfortunately, wow. those two things were two weeks apart. So managing to sort of cobble together some annual leave and travel contributions for both, I went over for those. Right. And while I was in San Francisco, a local film charity had reached out to schools and asked if they would be interested in me visiting their school sort of in conjunction with the kids watching it and on the first day they got 15 schools replying to them saying yes please but i was only gonna be there for three days so we agreed to settle on four and i you know san francisco not a place known for its love of rugby league Mm. or for its connection to papua new guinea so to walk into one of the schools there and there was a grade five class which is younger than any audience we've ever shown it to, so they were about 10, caught the end of them watching it, and they were so into it. They were cheering so much for the Orchids. It was just such a surreal moment. (laughs) And then, you know, we did a little session with them in their class afterwards, and they were all just asking, well, when are all the Orchids coming to visit us? Um, You know, they were pleased that I was there, but they really just wanted to know when the whole team was coming.
1: (laughs) What a beautiful little story.
0: (laughs) And the other really amazing thing about this has been meeting the Papua New Guineans who live all over the world at the different screenings we've had mm. and being able to connect with them and be able to reconnect them with home. And there was some great sort of moments in England with that, and also Australia, in fact, because there's a lot of Papua New Guineans who've lived here for a long time and, mm. and actually don't go home that often. But the most random one was in New York, also on that US trip, when we did a pop-up screening in a pub. Cool. And it was pretty last minute. Brooklyn Kings, who were the premiers of the USA Rugby League, helped us organise it. Mm-hmm. It was advertised only on Facebook, really. And so I had no idea who was coming. Mainly I was expecting some Brooklyn Kings players. And yeah. then, I just as it was about to start, some Papua New walked in. Oh. Um, <laughs> and they didn't even really know each other. They just kind of got to know each other on Facebook and seen that this screening was happening and had all come. And one of them it was a Papua New who'd lived in New York with her family for years. <laughs> and she said to me, she said to me, I've been following this film on Facebook, since it came out for months and watching it all over Australia and PNG. And I just never thought it would come to New York, <laughs> Wow! which is kind of the opposite of most things, isn't it, really? Yeah, that yeah. Definitely come to New York and never go to Papua New Guinea.
1: <laughs> that is beautiful. Uh, now, Joanna, the PNG Orchids, being a brand new team, obviously struggle on the field in 2017. But as the film shows, there is a huge inspirational victory that is personified within every member of that awkward squad what is your favorite victory in that sense what's your favorite player development story well
0: i mean the four main characters in in the film have all come on so far since then. Right. I actually really probably touched on what might be my favorite story when I talk about Vanuatu, which is Della, who now is on the Orchids coaching staff and is just such a leader in rugby league, yeah. you know, among women, among men, um, among female players. She's the one who has really persuaded dozens of young women in her community to stop sitting around all day drinking and gambling and mm. to get out there and play rugby league and the discipline that that's brought in her community is really extraordinary and it's sort of just seeing the way that she led everyone in Vanuatu was amazing. I mean, Gloria too, who also came to Vanuatu who in the film, you know, was basically in tears because she was taken to the World Cup and almost didn't get to play a match mm. and now she's, she's the vice-captain. She's just an incredibly mature but very young player who... Mm. I always knew she'd capture New York kids one day, but I didn't expect her to be the virus capture within two years, so that's a great story. Yeah. Amelia Cook is a nurse. Um, she is currently on the front line of coronavirus, mm. having been retrained for ICU in nursing in Brisbane. Wow. She was very much looking forward to a big year on the field this year, which is all sort of a bit up in the air with what's happening with, or not with Women's Rugby League, but uh, certainly off the field, it's a big year for her as well. Mm. And Kathy, who was the captain of the film, is now running the NRL's programme across PNG. Is that right? Um, So, yeah, managing 20 staff in four parts of the country. So, yeah, I mean, it's been an amazing transformation for everyone, really. And, of course, some of the players who we didn't feature so prominently in the film, have also, you know, gone on to remain with the national team or do other things and yeah. some of them got a job for the first time. So, yeah, it's, it's been pretty good all around, really.
1: Now, while the Orchids are no match for the big guns at the 2017 Rugby League World Cup, only two years later in the national stadium at Port Moresby, they take on and beat England in possibly the biggest upset in women's rugby league history. They have obviously come a long way on the field in a short period of time. Has that been matched off the field, do you think?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I think one of the things you would see in the film was that the preparation for the 2017 World Cup was really last minute. Mm. And that sort of didn't really allow the team to reach its potential. And obviously, ever since, there's been a bit more build-up. There's there's still actually been a lot of changes. So the momentum that you might have expected within two years has been a little bit affected by some changes in coaches and a lot of changes within the team. But what you saw in that win against England was... You know partly a result of better preparation greater confidence mm-hmm. and just players being used to being part of a high performance environment mm-hmm. whereas in 2017 it was really it was sort of straight from grassroots from the mud bath selection trials that you saw at the beginning of the film mm-hmm. into the world cup in a matter of weeks but you know being able to build over even just two years and sort of players having more confidence in themselves understanding their roles in the team better Being a bit more used to being coached and and how that kind of environment operates really makes a a big difference. And I think next year in the World Cup, obviously, there'll be the benefit of even more preparation. Mm. And and we'll see what happens.
1: And what about in terms of attitudes towards women? Do you think this film and this movement has changed attitudes uh, of men in Papua New Guinea?
0: From what I gather, yes. It's one of my great frustrations that we haven't been able to track that a bit more scientifically Mm. i would have really liked if i had my time again to have put something in place to really monitor that a bit more closely than we've been able to but when people run screenings in png which is sometimes the nrl sometimes the sponsor of the team or other organizations um we do ask them to kind of Either record the discussion that happens afterwards, or capture some feedback, and that has been really positive in terms of people say that a lot of men are sort of reconsidering how they view women, Mm. which is the aim really. It's sort of a thought provoker. It's a conversation starter, and. Yeah, the feedback from PNG has has been really sort of positive along those lines. Yeah. and you know, there's, and some other facts as well. Not not just how people see women, but you know, PNG is famous for its um, sort of Facebook culture, mm. uh, for its keyboard warrior coaches. <laughs> you know, people inbox the Facebook pages of the national team at halftime of a match with coaching advice. <laughs> and one of the themes that we explore in the film about you know social media comments, trolls, abuse, mm. whatever you want to call it that's also something that's kind of resonated quite a lot, I think, um, which kind of goes beyond rugby league and, and encouraging people to sort of think twice
1: about that kind of thing. Yeah, well, of course, PNG, they're not alone in that sort of thing, that's for sure, but yeah, i take your point. Now, an interesting part of the story, and you touched on it just before, is that for many of the players, the national team was the first time they had ever been coached. And What was the adjustment process like for those players?
0: Yeah, so because of the way that, Women's Rugby League has evolved over the last few years in PNG and it's grown quite fast. To the great credit of PNG RFL, the PNG Rugby Football League, they made it compulsory for clubs to have women's teams Mm -hmm. um, a few years ago, which kind of led to a a rapid explosion in the number of women's teams. Mm -hmm. But from what I understand, many of them didn't really have a coach, either because Well, at the beginning, it was that men didn't really want to coach the women's teams. They thought that was just a bit insulting. Hmm. So a lot of the more senior female players were sort of the player coaches of their own teams. Right. So a lot of those Orchids players in that original team, back at their clubs, were the player coaches. Right. So they hadn't really been coached before. And if they had... I mean, coaching qualifications are incredibly rare in PNG. Mm -hmm. You know, most people watch the NRL on TV and and coach their local team yeah so the experience of being coached by someone who themselves had had some education as a coach was completely new and there were lots of other things that were completely new like um, having access to a physio Mm -hmm. warming up properly cooling down properly you know rehab stretching there are a lot of concepts there that were very new and the physio who you meet in the film who was based in australia had a bit of frustration at first because that's not the culture that you can build in a few weeks yeah but it has improved a lot since then and and one of the reasons why is um, that the hunters staff and the kumal staff in fact have sort of become a lot more involved the approach to the elite teams in png has become a lot more unified and so the brilliant high performance environment that the hunters have built over the past five or so years has sort of Provide a lot of input for the orchids now and because when the hunters started it was actually you know the same for them pretty much they were getting players from a very grassroots environment go into a full-time yeah. high performance situation yeah so yeah over the past few years that's sort of really grown a lot in png
1: all right now joanna as a storyteller what did you learn about adapting your storytelling style to the structure of a film because i imagine it's quite different to telling a story through a written article or a book, or talking to people like me in a podcast.
0: Yes, it certainly is. I don't think making an observational documentary where you've got no idea what's going to happen, which is what this was, is the easiest film to make if you're a first-time filmmaker. Yeah. Um, And I think the editor of the film, who is extremely experienced and was probably a bit frustrated with some of the the ways that I'd approach things, would agree. (laughs) Um, Because, of course, we really didn't know what was going to happen. We had to film so much stuff just in case we needed it. Mm. By definition, when you're filming something about a journey to a World Cup and you don't know what any of the results are going to be on the field, yeah, that kind of means you end up with a lot of stuff you don't need. So the, actually the process of making it, we just had to film a lot of things. And uh, the process of editing it was, as you'd expect, where the decisions were made. And as I mentioned, we had a brilliant editor, Nikki Stevens. He's very experienced. Mm-hmm. I actually met with a few editors to decide who to work with before we chose Nikki and she from the moment we sort of started talking was just so excited by the story even though she is definitely not a rugby league fan in fact she sort of said she didn't like sport at all
1: right. but she just
0: thought it was such a cool story Yeah, that I knew her enthusiasm for it would help us through navigating how we were going to turn our hundreds of hours of footage into the 74 minutes you see on the (laughs) cinema screen so it was yeah it was pretty difficult actually because I'd never made anything longer than five minutes before Mm.
1: but we got there yeah and you got there beautifully now we're fast running out of time but I wanted to ask you a question, but I I think after speaking to you for half an hour, I think I'm going to know the answer to these questions, but I'm going to ask them anyway. Now, there are a couple of cliches about rugby league and rugby league in PNG, which I'd like your opinion on. So how accurate are these descriptions? Rugby league in PNG is a religion, and rugby league can be a force for good in PNG.
0: Well, to take your first one first, the opening line of the film, there are three common denominators in this country – One is God, two is Tok Pesim, the language we all speak, and three is Rugby League. (laughs) There you go. Um, So it's on equal standing to religion, and those are literally the three things that bring the country together, a country that's otherwise made up of thousands of tribes, 800 languages. In many ways, Papua New Guinea is, is not really a country. It's a collection of different people. Mm-hmm. And most people don't even relate to themselves as being Papua New Guinean, except in the context of sport. Wow. So not only does Rugby League bring PNG together because everyone loves it, it's also just a really important unifying force. Yeah, And your second one its potential to have an impact on society well absolutely ever since I first went there in 2009 I wanted to go back and I wanted to do something like this I just didn't know what it would be but it's been an incredible opportunity to make this film to stay involved with the orchids to see the players driving so much change in society through the nrl program through power mary and through the the growth of the orchids and you know climbers and the hunters as well for that matter so any rugby league fan who wants to really rediscover the meaning of rugby league i said that tourism was in its early stages but it's still possible yeah so i think you should start planning your trip
1: well yes totally agree well joanna we're out of time unfortunately but it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and go deep on a film that I first saw a couple of years ago and that has stayed with me since, and surely that's a mark of a great work. So, Joanna Lester, thanks for taking the time out to chat. Congratulations on a great work, and all the best with what comes next.
0: Thank you very much. progressive rugby league
1: there we have it a brilliant story beautifully told and for those wondering i did get those new sneakers eventually actually there's a hole developing in the big toe uh, but it, it doesn't rain much around here all right folks thanks again for joining us until next time rugby league Hold me and see ya so uh
0: what happened to you what happened to you what happened to you